Hey, speaking of cute little kids, welcome kids. I'm glad you're in the room. If you're a kid, uh, clap and cheer and go crazy right now. Now, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. I know you can do better than that, so hang on a second. If you're a kid, laugh and cheer, clap and cheer and go crazy right now. All right, good. I'm glad you're here. Hey, uh, my name's Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church, and I've got something for kids today, too, so hopefully you guys grabbed one of your note cards when you walked in. If you've got your Bibles, uh, adults, students, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 11. Kids, too, Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's page 725 in this Bible. If you grab one of the kids' Bibles on the floor, the Adventure Bible, it's page 1140, 1140. Hey, I have a question for you. If you could ask Jesus to teach you one skill, what would it be? Think about all the things that Jesus did in his life. If you could ask him to teach you one of those things, what would it be? Turn to your neighbor and tell him what you would ask Jesus to teach you, the one thing that you would ask Jesus to teach you. Okay, how how many of you said uh, healing, like you'd want to know how to heal? Yeah, if you've got a a few of you, good. If you've got uh, sick people in your life, people that have been injured, uh, maybe you think about healing or or maybe uh, even raising people from the dead. Anybody say raising people from the dead? That's a pretty cool. And if you've lost someone close to you this year, that's probably something that tugs at your heart. I'd like to be able to bring them back. Uh, That's a good thing. Maybe you were thinking more like fun stuff, like fun miracles. Like how many of you said uh, walking on water? (laughs) Like, yeah, at the pool party this summer, I want to be able to amaze my friends and walk across. Hey, give me a Coke, okay? And you're just going to walk right across the pool to go get it. Or or maybe turning water into wine. Anybody say that? It's okay. This is a safe place. (laughs) It's Sunday. You can't buy wine anywhere, but you can get water anywhere, right? And so maybe that's That's the thing you're going to do. Calming a storm, maybe. That's not really a big deal this weekend, but maybe sometime that would be a big deal. But, but, well, the disciples, the the men and women who walked closely with Jesus had this opportunity. They had the chance to ask Jesus one thing. And I want you to see in Luke chapter 11 that those men and women saw something in Jesus that they wanted to imitate. And so of all the things that that they were able to ask Jesus, uh, the one thing they asked him to teach them was to teach, him, teach them to pray. In Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1, it says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, the one thing that we see in the four Gospels that they asked, them, asked him to teach them to do was teach them to pray. And so today we're beginning this five-week series called A Praying Life. Uh, if you've been here for a few weeks, you've heard me mention this book. It's A Praying Life by, by Paul Miller. How many of you have this book? Raise your hands. Okay, good. A lot of you. That's good. If you are a group leader and you're leading a group through this series, we have a copy of this for you at the Info Hub. So uh, grab it on your way out. Uh, how many of you have thought about buying this book but haven't gotten around to it yet? Has, does anybody actually have it in your cart on Amazon right now? You do? Here you go. Don't press buy. There you go. It's yours. So uh, this book 
uh, I read this book about a year ago or so, and I keep, I keep looking for my wife. She's not over there today. She's over here. Uh, and I would uh, be sitting in the living room reading something to I'm uh, reading this book, and, and I would just go, oh, that's so good. And she goes, she'd, she'd say, what is it? And so I'd read something to her, and she goes, oh, that is good. And then uh, eventually she read it, and then our whole small group read it. So we did this a year ago as a small group study. It's an incredible book. We probably have 250 or 300 people in our church uh, across both campuses that are going through groups that are studying a praying life right now. And so even if you're not in a group, I recommend you pick it up. I'm not um, shilling for Paul Miller. I don't get a, a kickback on this, but I think it's 10 bucks on Amazon right now. So uh, go purchase it if you don't have it. <clears throat> but I want to say up front, as much as I love this book, as good as this book is, I'm not going to be preaching from this book. All right, this book is not scripture. This is not the gospel. Uh, Paul Miller does have to do a great job of capturing the person of Jesus and capturing the heart of prayer. And so we want to share over these five weeks some of his insights on scripture with you. So why are we doing this series? What's the goal? Well, we believe that growing in prayer is one of the most important skills that you can develop. And when I say skill, I'm not talking about like how you talk in prayer. I'm not talking about what you say in prayer. Uh, although it's maybe helpful to grow in those areas, what, when I say skill, I mean a relational skill. All right? I, I don't know about you, but it seems that uh, relational skills are kind, of a, uh, are kind of dead today. right? We don't always know how to relate to each other because we're so busy doing this. right? Did you know I, uh, my chiropractor was telling me that there's a very real thing now, and I can't remember what the name was, but that so many people come in and a lot of back and neck and headache pain is from people looking down like this. Uh, at their phone, at their screens, and that that's something that they have to deal with on a weekly basis, the chiropractor's dealing with. Because we are all so caught up in an electronic world that we sometimes miss like the world around us. We miss the relational skills sometimes. And so uh, I think it's important that we think about prayer as a relational skill. And relational skills are critically important for experiencing a joyful, fruitful life. And so when we talk about growing in the skill of prayer, here's what I want you to know, and you can write this down. Kids, these are in, this is in your notes if you want to write this down. The skill of prayer is simply relating to God the way that God wants us to relate to him. You know, it's understanding that we have a heavenly father who created you, he's crazy about you, and he wants you to relate to him, and he's got a way that he's given us through prayer to relate to him. And so prayer is understanding uh, that relation, uh, how, we, how are we are supposed to relate to God and relating to God that way. Now, what do I mean by that, by relating to God the way that God wants us to relate? What I mean is that prayer isn't just the act of saying the right things. Right? So many times when I have a need that I'll share with people, they'll say something like this. Uh, and if you said this, I'm not holding this against you, please don't. But they'll say, like, I'll say a prayer for you. And so many times I want to say, that's great. I, I can use all the prayers I can get, but don't just say stuff in prayer. Prayer is not just the act of talking to God. It's not even the act of talking and listening to God. The, the heart behind prayer, maybe the engine that drives prayer, is a relationship with God. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> As a pastor, let's say you come to me because you're having a hard time uh, talking to your wife or your husband or your parents about something difficult. I'm probably not going to spend the first few minutes of our conversation schooling you in the art of conversation, right? Because when you say I'm having a hard time having a conversation about this, it really isn't that you don't know how to speak to someone. What I'm going to start asking you are questions about the relationship that you have. What's the relationship like? Why is it so hard for you to talk to them? Paul Miller, I think, does a great job of laying this out in the book on, uh, on prayer. He says this, <clears throat> let's imagine that you see a prayer therapist to get your prayer life straightened out. 
The therapist says, let's begin by looking at your relationship with your heavenly father. God said, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, he says that. What does it mean that you are a son or daughter of God? Now you reply that it means you have complete access to your heavenly father through Jesus. You have true intimacy based not on how good you are, but on the goodness of Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus is your brother. You're a fellow heir with him. The therapist smiles and says, that's right. You've done a wonderful job describing the doctrine of sonship. Now tell me, What is it like for you to be with your father? What is it like to talk with him? And you cautiously tell the therapist how difficult it is to be in your father's presence, even for a couple of minutes. Your mind wanders. You aren't sure what to say. You wonder, does prayer make any difference? Is God even there? Then you feel guilty for your doubts, and you just give up. Your therapist tells you what you already suspect. Your relationship with your heavenly father is dysfunctional. You talk as if you have an intimate relationship, but you don't. Theoretically, it is close. Practically, it is distant. You need help. And I think, don't all of us feel that way sometimes? Don't all of us feel like we're distant from God sometimes? Why is it so important that we relate to God well? Because sometimes life is hard. Life is not always easy. Sometimes things happen and we don't understand why. Sometimes people break our hearts. But your heavenly Father is perfect. And you and I, we have no experience relating to perfect because perfect doesn't exist on this earth. And so we need help. We need to learn to relate to perfect because we are not. And so of all the skills they could have asked Jesus about, the disciples said, how should we pray? Or in other words, how should we relate to God? So a couple observations I make from this question. The fact that they have this question uh, brings up some things. First of all, to some degree, the disciples themselves must have felt insecure or unsure about how to pray. I wonder how many of us always ever feel that way, and some of us I know always feel that way. But the disciples so many times must have felt inadequate in their prayers. Why do we feel so unsure sometimes about our prayer lives? Maybe when it comes to prayer, you're not sure what to say. Or, or maybe you would describe your prayer life as, as dutiful. Like you pray, but you know, it's, if you're honest, it's because you're supposed to and not because you feel compelled to not because you want to, not because you love, love to pray. Uh, maybe you describe your prayer life as boring. It's just not that enjoyable. Maybe you feel disconnected from God, like God is so distant. Does he even hear our prayers? Is he listening? Does this even work? Like, does prayer even work? Maybe your prayer life is marked by distraction. If you're always busy and in a hurry, our American culture may be the most difficult place to pray, maybe in the history of the world. You know, we are so busy, we have a hard time just slowing down long enough to quiet our hearts and be still before God. There's, there's so much noise in the world around us, and all of our free time, all of our downtime can be filled by other distractions, things like television and games and the internet and social media. And some of you are insane enough to do it all at the same time. Like, you can't have the TV going without having your iPad in front of you, playing a game at the same time, or have Facebook up, or tweeting. That's me. Like, I can't watch TV without tweeting about it. Uh, this lifestyle creates this restless energy in us where it's almost impossible to be still before God. And if we ever get alone before God, we find ourselves uncomfortable with silence. I wonder what made the disciples so unsure about praying, so unsure that they had to ask Jesus this question. Were they really that much like us, that they had a hard time focusing, that they lacked confidence in their prayer? So the second observation I can make from them asking this question is this. They probably saw something different 
in Jesus' prayer life. You notice in Luke 11, Jesus was praying about something, and the disciples said, teach us to do that. There was something different in the way Jesus related with his heavenly father, some secret to Jesus' life and ministry that maybe they wanted him to teach them this one skill because it was this one skill that made everything else that happened in his life and in his ministry possible. And if that's true, then it's still true today. So prayer is learning to relate to God how God wants us to relate to him. And if that's true, then what should this relationship look like? Well, so here's how Jesus responds to that question uh, that the disciples asked. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke eleven two, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, and I'm just going to stop right there because quite honestly, I think that's enough for today. Jesus says we should relate to God like we relate to a father. And not just here, but lots of other places he said that. But here's, here's what I want you to put in your notes. And kids, this is in your notes too. That we can come to God like a child. We can come to God like a child. Jesus told the disciples to relate to God like a father. And, and, and he, he said that not just here, but in Matthew 18, 3. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 10, 21, says this, at this time, Jesus, full of, the whole, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And in John 1, Jesus says this, or John wrote this, yet to all who did receive him, to receive those who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. In Galatians 4, Paul writes that when the time had set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Over and over again in the New Testament, we're told that God wants us to relate to him like a child relates to his father or to her father. So how should this truth impact our prayer life? Well, we want to approach God like a child uh, would approach his or her father. So how do children approach their parents? There are three ways that Paul Miller points out in the book. Uh, And again, kids, these are in your notes too if you want to follow along. Adults, you can follow along too. You can write them down uh, on the note card you got. Number one is this, bring your messy self. Can we just all agree that kids are messy? Like, Like those of you who have kids, how many have kids still at home? Raise your hand if you have kids still at home. Do you remember those days when you could wake up on Sunday morning and the house was clean because you cleaned it on Saturday? Maybe it seems like a distant memory for you, but I remember we would wake up on Sunday morning and everything was clean, everything was in its place, the floors were vacuumed, you know, because we did it on Saturday and nothing happened between Saturday and Sunday to make them dirty. But, but now you wake up in the morning, you go downstairs and the sink is full of dirty dishes and you praise God because it's an opportunity to serve your family, Right? And you open up the closet in your child's room and you are buried in the avalanche of dirty clothes that flows out of there. And you don't understand it because you did like 11 loads of laundry yesterday. And how can all these clothes still be here? Children are messy. Man, I remember uh, one time my wife and I, my my family and I were driving to Chicago and uh, one of our kids, and I'm not going to say who because they're in the room, so don't look over there right now. All right, whatever you do. One of our kids, well, we were driving to Chicago, and we get uh, kind of inside the city of Chicago. We were going to uh, the big mall that has Ikea and all that in it, you know. 
And we get inside the city and we notice, man, something stinks around here. We were going by the big smokestacks there just outside of Gary and we're like, man, Chicago really smells today, right? And so we get a little bit further and, boy, that's not going away. I wonder what that is. And we finally get to the mall and uh, we realize one of our daughters, and I won't say which one, has had an accident in her car seat and has smeared it all over the walls, <laughs> the fabric of the car seat. Like, there is no way to get from around that, right? And so we have to go into Ikea, we buy a couple towels, we stuff them down in the car seat, take the cover off, and we, we have to clean it. Because you know what's worse than when kids make a mess? It's when kids try to clean up their own mess. <laughs> Isn't that true? I mean, we try to clean it up ourselves. Uh, that, that can be worse than making the mess itself. And so oftentimes the problem that we face in prayer is that we try to be spiritual and we try to clean up our act before we go before God. We, we try to fix ourselves up a bit. We try to act like we have it all together. We're afraid to bring our real thoughts and our real emotions before God. When we go before God, we try to pretend that we're not fearful, that we're not anxious, and that we're not stressed out. Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you who are peaceful and who are able to concentrate in prayer and whose minds no longer wander. No, Jesus opens up his arms to his needy children. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Miller says it this way, the criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. So we can come, we can bring our messy self. The second way that we come to God like a child is to share what's on your heart. You can share what's on your heart. You can share what's on your mind. Isn't it true that kids always say exactly what's on their mind? Maybe you love that about them. Maybe it's embarrassing sometimes. Mommy, why is that lady so fat? (laughs) Daddy, is that a boy or a girl? But you know, God wants to hear exactly what's on our heart and what's on our mind. Your thoughts won't surprise him. You can't shock him. You can't scare him. Just tell him. I have one pastor that says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? You know, you can tell him what you're thinking. He already knows. Tell him what you're feeling. He already knows. Here's an idea too. You can even tell God what you're thinking when someone else is praying out loud. How many of you do this when somebody else is praying? Your mind just goes wanders off, right? You don't have to do that. You can, you can be in agreement with the person who's praying. You can, you know, so the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that Jesus is interceding for us, that he sits at the right hand of God and that he's interceding for us. Now think about what this means, okay? God is up on his throne. He's listening to our prayers and Jesus is sitting at his right hand saying, yes, I'll give you that one. Yes, he's looking for things that he can agree with, all right? And so as we pray to God, as, as, as if I'm praying out loud in a setting and someone says, yes, I agree with that, there's two people that are agreeing with the same thing. You know, uh, Matthew 18, 20 says, wherever two or three gather in my name, I am with them. There's something powerful about two or more people gathered together saying the same thing. Let me give you an example. Uh, if one of my daughters comes to me today and says, dad, I want to go get ice cream. I'm probably a 50-50 on that. I'm kind of gullible when it comes to ice cream anyway. But if both of my daughters come together and they say, dad, we really want ice cream, there's no way we're not getting ice cream tonight, right? Because they're in agreement on that. By the way, I now know there's no way we're not getting ice cream tonight. (laughs) 
Like a child, you can share what's on your heart. So the third way that you can pray like a child is to take your needs to your father. And take your needs to your father. One of the joys of being a parent is you have these little beings running around who can't take care of themselves. They're completely and totally dependent on you for their livelihood. Right, kids? I mean, how many kids, how many of you know how to cook? Okay, that's, that's quite a few. That's not bad. How many of you uh, know how to do laundry? How many of you actually do laundry? Oh, okay, there go all the hands. How many of you know how to use a remote control? Yeah, see, this is the... This is the influence of the dads in the room, okay? There are some things that moms just can't teach a child. There are some things that you need a dad to do that, right? When we realize we can't do life on our own, we go to God. And helplessness is the door to prayer. Sometimes we think, we forget that helplessness is how the Christian life works. Those of you, those of us in the room who are Christians, we're followers of Jesus, we came to Jesus because we realized we were helpless, that we needed saved. Somebody needed to rescue us. We couldn't do it on our own. We didn't have the way to get to God on our own. We were helpless in that. And so we needed Jesus to come and help us find our way back to God. That was how it was. Well, Colossians 2.6 says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, that the same way we came to Jesus, weak and broken and helpless is the same way that we should follow Jesus. Is this helping anybody at all? I hope it is. Paul Miller says, we instinctively want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God, but the very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. Prayer works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. Therefore, we pray. And you know who the best model of all time in this is, is Jesus. Jesus modeled helplessness for us. When Jesus told us to come to God like a child, he was just telling us to do what he was already doing. You know, the disciples asked, teach us to pray. And what they meant was, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to relate to your father like you relate to your father. Well, Jesus was completely and totally dependent on his father for everything. And so in John 5, 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Doesn't Jesus sound like a little child there? I mean, only a child says, I only do what I see my father doing. How many of you are country music fans? Any country music fans in the room? You guys remember a few years ago, there was a, Rodney Atkins had a song called uh, Watching You. You know, I've been watching you, Dad. Now ain't that cool. I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are, right? I could sing it for you, but I won't do that for you. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? I want to do everything that you do. John 5.30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. And John 8.28, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. John 12.49 said, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all I have spoken. Paul Miller says it this way, Jesus is without question the most dependent human being who ever lived. Because he can't do life on his own, he prays and he prays and he prays. And when we, like Jesus, realize that we can't do life on our own, then prayer makes complete sense. You know, in my mind, uh, Luke 5.16 is probably the best summary of Jesus' prayer life. Luke 5.16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If we want to follow Jesus and we want to you know, pattern our lives after him, we must often withdraw to lonely places and pray. We've got to spend time alone with our heavenly father. Your heavenly father longs to be with you. 
mean, I love doing stuff with my whole family. That's great. But some of my most special times are when I get one of my girls alone and it's just the two of us and we spend time together. I got the chance to take one of my daughters to a Pacers game this week, and it was incredibly special just to get to spend that time together. We get a, uh, every once in a while, we take dates, just daddy and daughter, you know, it's one-on-one one one because that time alone together is so special. And I want you to know today, no matter where you are, no matter what you believe about God, no matter what you believe about Jesus, that your heavenly father feels the same way about you. He longs to spend time with you. You know, so many times as Christians, we think, I know God loves me, but I don't think he likes me very much. The Bible says that God delights in you, that he wants to spend time with you. He wants that alone time with you. And so you've got to be able to spend that time alone with your heavenly father. You know, we, we come to the place of prayer. We view ourselves as God's child and we view God as our loving heavenly father. All of a sudden, prayer is an invitation from our Heavenly Father to walk in a close relationship with Him. Uh, author J.I. Uh, Packer said it this way, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Now, as we start to wrap up here, I just want to give you a few tips on uh, how we can spend time alone with God, how we can, uh, whether you're an adult or a child or a student, uh, there's some things that you can do as you spend time alone with God. Number one is this, put it on your calendar. I, I, I saw this week on Facebook, a friend of mine um, has set an alarm every day for uh, 1.27 uh, p.m. because uh, of a verse that was very meaningful to him, Colossians 1.27. And so at 1.27, he stops what he's doing and he goes and prays. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Russell, our groups and disciple-making pastor, would call this a prayer appointment. Uh, give yourself a prayer appointment. Make a time. Make time for it. Just like if somebody called you and wanted to have lunch with you, you would put an appointment on your calendar. Your Heavenly Father wants to spend time with you. So put an appointment on your calendar uh, that you can do every day. Go to a quiet place. Um, quiet for you and quiet for me may be different things. I know uh, Ben Krause likes to go for walks in the morning. Our Noblesville campus pastor will go out all by himself. Uh, that's his thing. I like to go to McDonald's, believe it or not. And there are people around, but you know what? I'm a bit of an extrovert. I can tune out the noise. Um, I can sit there and, and have a drink and um, read my Bible and pray to God right there. Uh, bring your Bible and your journal. Uh, one of the great ways we can spend time with God is spend time in his word as we're praying. Uh, I, like to, I like to write things down. Go back, if you have a prayer journal, go back and look at your prayer journal. Do your prayers sound like the prayers of a child? Or do they sound like a lot of big words that you don't really ever use in conversation? You know, go back and write down your prayers and look every once in a while, take a look back and see how God has honored those prayers and answered those prayers. It's so encouraging to look back at prayers I was praying a year ago or two years ago and see how the Lord has really honored those. Uh, listen to some music. Some of you are more musical than, uh, than uh, Bible uh, reader, readers, and so maybe it would help you to listen to worship music. Uh, then Kevin Russell will do this. He'll put on his headphones, and then he'll sing loud enough for all of us to hear so we can hear what he's listening to. You don't have to do that. But start small, like 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, two or three worship songs if you're doing that. Uh, one of my daughters came to me last week and said, I, want, I really want to read my Bible, but I, I don't want to do it three hours a day. I'm like, honey, I get it. I don't either, <laughs> you know, but... 10 or 15 minutes at a time. The key is not, not to focus on praying. The key is to focus on God. Just get you thinking about God. Uh, Paul Miller writes this, 
Oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focused on praying, not on God. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. So don't focus on the mechanics of praying. Focus on God. Jesus was so focused on his heavenly father, he couldn't live life without him. And so the reason that his prayers were different was because he wasn't focused on what he was saying or what he was praying. He was focused on his heavenly father. Think about this. This is why the time at Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus went to the cross, remember when uh, Jesus is crying out and he's sweating and blood is coming out of his pores. This is why this was so hard for him. Because for all of eternity, he had been in one, in perfect communion with God. And now all of a sudden, they're separated. He had never experienced time apart from his father. Can you imagine what it would be like to be so connected to God that we would never want to spend time apart? That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. And someday, in heaven, that's the kind of relationship we'll have with him. So we better get ready now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I want that relationship that you had with Jesus I want to know you and to spend time with you and to hear from you and just to, to be with you, Father. And sometimes it's so hard in this world. We get so distracted and I get so focused on what I'm supposed to say in prayer that I miss the opportunity to just spend time and be with you, and just to hang out with you. So Lord, I pray for me and I pray for those of us in this room that this week that you would help us to come to you like a little child that you would help us to see that you are good, that you want good for us, that you are a good father, that you uh, desire good for your children. And that's the way we want to relate to you. So Lord, help us to see that even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name.